Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. This morning we come to the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. This is Paul at Ephesus. And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what, then, were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. This is the word of God for us this morning. You know, one of the controversial issues in many churches today is the issue of rebaptism. It's not something that we personally talk a lot about here, but maybe you've heard it, so we're just going to mention it here this morning. But rebaptism simply means being baptized again. Now, some pastors simply refuse to baptize a person a second time, and others require it quite often. And there have been a few people that I've known who have been baptized several times, three, four, five times or so. Sometimes this becomes an an emotional uh, disorder as such, um, as some insist on being re-baptized because they still don't feel they have their uh, conversion experience just right. Sometimes it's a theological problem thinking that baptism is the only way to receive forgiveness of sins. Sometimes it's just a tourism attraction as when people are re-baptized, you know, when they're visiting the Jordan River in Israel, for example. But I always find it a bit odd to ask a person when they were baptized, only to have them reply, which time? It seems to me that baptism, at least real baptism, should be once and for all, right? Well, today's text is the only occasion that I know of in the Bible where people were baptized again or they were re-baptized. For me, this is a very instructive passage and, and helps to, to shape my understanding of both the faith and the meaning of baptism. The text begins by relating a footnote about Paul's travels. Apollos, the great orator and rising star in the Christian ministry, stayed in Corinth, while Paul made his way through the interior regions to arrive at the city, the great city, of Ephesus. I suspect that Paul was a bit surprised to find people in Ephesus who were already disciples of Jesus. This bit of information reveals some important facts about the early expansion of the message about Jesus. There were obviously more missionaries than just Paul's entourage. 
I mean, it only makes sense that many early believers in Jesus would spread the news about him as they traveled about the Roman Empire. And we have that strong impression here that these particular witnesses had also been followers of John the Baptist. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that John the Baptist quit his ministry after baptizing Jesus. He went into retirement. He was done. But the Bible makes it clear that he continued to preach and have disciples, much like Jesus did. Some of the disciples of John had apparently made their way to Ephesus. There they preached a gospel which was a mixture of the good news about Jesus and the baptism practiced by John the Baptist. Verse 2 tells us that there was a test of faith that Paul administered. I find it very interesting to note the test that Paul administered to see if one's baptism was valid. And it's interesting to me what he did not ask, what he did. Let's look at some of the things Paul did not ask. First of all, the test was not doctrinal in nature. He did not ask if they believed in the virgin birth of Jesus. He did not ask if they believed Jesus was God, became flesh. He did not ask if they believed the resurrection, predestination, eternal security, or the inspiration of the Bible. So it seems that Paul does not measure these followers by doctrine at all. Second, Paul did not ask if they were baptized into the right church. Many denominations consider baptism in any other denomination as invalid. When a person comes to join that church, they will be required to be baptized or rebaptized in that church to make sure it was done correctly. And quite often in this practice, there is the underlying assumption that, though it's seldomly expressed, that the competing churches are not real churches. Their thinking goes this way. If our church is the only correct one, and we have all our doctrine and beliefs exactly right, then by definition, other churches are incorrect and wrong. In fact, those churches are nothing more than social clubs with incorrect doctrine. Therefore, baptism in those incorrect churches was not a real baptism. Ours is the only true church, and baptism in our church is the only real baptism. Paul seems to have no such concept. Neither doctrine, denomination, nor church has anything to do with correct baptism for Paul. Third, he did not ask about the authority of the one who performed the baptism. Again, in many churches, there is a strong emphasis on the minister having the right credentials. In some, there is the requirement of ordination. Only those who have been properly credentialed by the denomination are allowed to perform the ordinance of baptism. Fourth, Paul did not mention the authority of the pastor by line of succession. In some churches, there's a requirement that the minister serve in a direct line of authority passed from minister to minister through the centuries. Our Catholic friends were the first to claim this direct line of authority preserved from pope to pope down through the ages in a direct line from Simon Peter. Some creative Baptists responded by putting forth a claim that their direct line of authority descended from John the Baptist who preceded Peter, and therefore the Baptist Church was superior to the Catholic Church. 
If the Catholics can claim that they are the true church because of a direct line to Peter, then the Baptists can claim that they are the true church because of an even earlier historical lineage. But once again, Paul has none of that. See, when you join the church, you don't join the pastor or the leaders of the church. We're not supposed to worship the pastor or the leaders. We have joined ourselves to Christ and received the Holy Spirit. We worship Christ, not the pastor. You will be very disappointed in every pastor you ever worshipped. But you will never be disappointed in worshipping Jesus. Fifth, Paul did not ask about the mode of baptism. History has been terrible has seen terrible battles regarding baptism by immersion versus baptism by sprinkling. This battle still rages on today in some circles. Those who believe in sprinkling often argue that the amount of water does not determine the validity of the baptism. Baptism is made effectual by the work of God, not by the amount of water. Those who prefer immersion argue for the importance of the image of burial and resurrection. In baptism, we are buried to an old way of life and raised to walk with God in our hearts. And just as a kind of a side note here, don't mistake the use of the term submersion for the technical term immersion. And I've heard... Uh, some people talk about submersion, uh, which, uh, you know, according to the dictionary, they have the same meaning, plunging beneath the water. But immersion, Im immersion, is the only one that really applies to baptism. But some people will immerse uh, by different modes. There are those who baptize three times by plunging the subject beneath the water, once in the name of the Father, once in the name of the Son, and once in the name of the Holy Spirit. Others immerse a person one time in the name of all three. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And down, immersed in the water, they go. Paul doesn't seem to care if they were immersed, sprinkled, dunked one time or three times. All right, so what is the test that Paul gives? He asked them about their experience. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Now, isn't that an interesting question? There is the assumption from Paul that the person being baptized should know that the Holy Spirit has come on them. And once again, there are many interpretations of this test. Our Pentecostal friends, for example, sometimes insist that a person have a separate baptism. It is also a rebaptism of sorts, but it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by that phrase, they mean that sometime after the person's physical baptism, they will normally have an experience with the Holy Spirit, which always leads to, his, uh, leads to speaking in tongues. And when they burst forth into tongues, they are considered to have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's just one example. But in our text here, there is no assumption of Paul that believers should receive the Holy Spirit when they became believers. 
This verse indicates that Paul expected a person to know they had the Holy Spirit upon their conversion to Christ. So my interpretation of this expression by Paul is that the person should have an experience of God before or during the time they are baptized. Did you experience the Holy Spirit when you became believers? I believe you can be baptized by the very best of modes, whatever you determine that to be. And one can be baptized by a minister with the most impeccable of credentials and authority, and it still can mean nothing. In the same way, I believe you can take the elements of the Lord's Supper, and if you experience nothing, it is just the ingesting of a cracker and juice, or bread and juice, whatever the case may be. But if your heart is right, then those simple elements are transformed into communion with the divine. If we do not experience God, then our baptism was just a dunking in water. And on the other hand, our experience can make our baptism valid no matter the mode or the minister, whether we are sprinkled or immersed, dunked one time or three times. And no matter who the minister was, our experience with God is what counts for me. In our text, Paul goes on to ask these disciples in Ephesus, Into what then were you baptized? And they reply, Into John's baptism. Paul explains to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6 explains then, When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The speaking in tongues and prophecy are the evidence that someone, that something had happened to those new believers. Now, for me today, this does not mean that every Christian must speak in tongues and prophecy in order to prove they are a Christian. And personally, in fact, I am not sure those spiritual gifts are even in use by God today. They might be, and if they are, they're not in use as much as what um, some churches make them out to be. Let me put it that way. Paul gives the disciples in Ephesus a brief explanation about Jesus of Nazareth as being the one to whom John's baptism pointed. They believe Paul's presentation of the gospel and came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul laid his hands upon them to show their inclusion into the Christian church, the body of Christ. The speaking in tongues and prophesying was a way of showing that something happened in their lives. It simply means that they had a change in their behavior, a change in their life. And that is the essence of conversion, a change, a transformation. Let me be clear with one thing. Baptism is not required for salvation. We're saved by faith alone through Christ alone. However, it is required of all obedient Christians. Do you remember that change in your life? Are you still living your life according to that change?
these are some of the things to think about this year. And especially as you come to the Lord's table, are you still experiencing Christ in your life today? Let us close with a prayer this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the experience that we can have with you and that you want to have with us. We thank you that you are a God of presence in our lives. And we ask you to continue using us to serve you and carry out your will here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.